Hello listener, Alex here. Normally, when we make an episode of A Pinch of Salt, we do our best to cut down our material enough to make sure that you can listen to it in one sitting. But the episode that you're about to digest was so rich with great ideas from our guests that we didn't want to get rid of any of it. So, we decided that this episode would best be brought to you in two parts. Without much further ado, here's part one. I'm Kara Towles and I'm here with my colleague. Hello, I'm Dara Minister. We're part of a team of academic developers at Swansea University who provide support and promote good learning and teaching practices and experiences. Welcome to A Pinch of Salt, Swansea University's learning and teaching podcast. If it has anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everyone knows about it. In this episode, we'll be exploring the contribution of postgraduate research students with teaching and learning responsibilities. I'm very happy to say that we are joined by Erin Todd, final year PhD student and teaching assistant in the Department of Geography. Alongside Erin, we have Louis Bromfield, who is the, in his third year of his doctorate and works as a senior teaching assistant in the Department of Politics and Cultural Studies. And last but not least, also joining us today is Sarah Williams from the Department of Media and Communication, a senior teaching assistant who has been teaching at Swansea University since 2018. Apart from all being teaching assistants, Sarah, Louis and Aaron also share something else in common. They have also just been awarded their HEA Associate Fellowship. So I think I should probably start by saying welcome and also congratulations, that's no easy feat. Thank you. Okay, so if we start off really, what I'd like you to do is just give us a little introduction into who you are, what your research is, and also what sort of teaching you're doing at the moment. So if we start with Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah. My area of research is digital literacy, educational provisions in Wales for primary and secondary schools. I completed my PhD, passed my Viva and just completed my corrections for submitting to the internal examiner to have a look at. More recently, I've been to seminars for quite a few years now, but more recently I took on the role of full-time tutor with the media department and I've been teaching a module called Theorising the Media. It's a, I've got a cohort of 90 students, so that's been quite an interesting difference to teaching seminars over the last few years. Thank you. And Erin? So my research has been up in Nantaboling lead mine. I've been looking at pollution flows across the lead mine into the, the main river, which is where we get our drinking water from. And I've just got back from New Zealand where I won an award for my, my research at a conference out there, which is rather nice. And then I teach on, I think I've just cleared 10 modules now from foundation all the way to masters from stats classes in computer labs to standing in rivers and measuring them and weekends away looking at rocks. Sounds like a good way to spend a weekend. It's good fun. <laughs> and Louis. Louis, uh, I'm doing, as you just said, I'm in my final year now of my politics doctorate. My research is on the gamification of political forecasting. So kind of looking at making online spaces for political forecasting as a kind of a new avenue of, of political engagement and looking at the effect that that has on engagement so do people become more 
interested and, and knowledgeable and more confident in their ability to take part in politics as a result of using it. So it's kind of interdisciplinary with computer science, which is my master's degree. In terms of the teaching, for the most part, it's been seminars, working out on the introductory to politics module, politics of the people, which is kind of all around political participation, how people partake, and potentially looking at in working on a disinformation module next next semester, which could be pretty interesting. And yeah, the occasional lecture, uh, that's it. Okay, so you come from very different backgrounds, and I can see obviously you're from different departments with different experiences. How would you describe your teaching approach then in a nutshell? If, if somebody sort of asked you to summarize how you approach teaching, it's quite a hard one, I guess, to, to start off with, but how would you kind of summarize really like who you are really as a, a tutor, Sarah? Um, I would say that it's, I, my approach is very student-centered and what I want the students to sort of take away from any of the lectures that I do or seminars is that sort of ability to really think critically about the topic that we've looked at, especially because of the kind of content that I'm teaching, which is theorizing the media. So there's a real sort of critical element to that. But I very much sort of focused on, as I said, it's very student-centered. So I'm constantly reflecting on how the lesson has gone constantly sort of monitoring feedback from them I speak to them obviously you look at your surveys as well your mid-module surveys and things like that so that I can change the content quickly to and modify it so that I am addressing their learning needs so that's that's pretty much my sort of approach a very very student-centered and quite responsive too sounds like yes yes yeah and very much so yes and Aaron? Yeah, actually not dissimilar to, to Sarah's, uh, I guess, although I hadn't previously thought of it that way, um, is yeah, to, to not quite allow the student to lead the learning, but to, to guide them in along the path. I'm, I'm using lots of words here that to avoid the actual topic. So rather than you know, lecture, do the work, I'd rather prefer brief introduction and then walk around, chat with the students where they are. And when they have problems, say, oh, right, well, have you done that? Yes. And then, oh, I should do that, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, sorted. And I, and I think that helps um, for them feeling happier about doing it and also sticks in their brain better than if you're just being told it. So it's that sort of supportive role, really, in problem, helping to problem solve some of those issues that appear. Does that sort of ring a bell with, with you, Louis? Would you kind of summarise your, your teaching in that style as well? Or Yeah, I like to. I think my main emphasis for the last kind of year or so has been to really kind of make the the semester as dynamic as possible and try to not have kind of a identical structure two weeks in a row. Uh, Because for the most part, I'm working with first year students who are still kind of in that state of indifference. You know, technically, I don't need to be here. I, I can just get away with a passing grade and I'm fine. So in order to kind of counteract that, I wanted to just make the the sessions each week be radically different, have students up and physically moving and making the most of the space that we have. And yeah, getting them to kind of slowly eking them out of comfort zones as the semester goes on. So kind of letting them work with who they want at the start. And then as the semester goes on, encourage that, you know, more group work and interacting with other students that they perhaps might not have so far. So kind of seeing the sort of big whole block that I can use to experiment rather than just isolating it to week to week. 
Yeah, and just trying to keep it all fluid and, and different each week so the students don't really know that it's going to be the same boring stuff every week. Mm. Sounds good. It sounds actually like there's a lot of, sort of overlap there, like you said, about kind of responding to what students want, giving them that safety, but then also helping them to progress in, in different varied ways. So, okay, thank you. I'll hand over to Darren now. Well, you mentioned, sort of touched on a little bit then, some strategies and approaches you use. I suppose this is one for the sort of hardcore teacher fans out there. So do you have a, a favorite approach or strategy or teaching method that you sort of go to and, and sort of why do you adopt that? So Aaron, would like to start. I think my, my preferred way of teaching, this works well with physical geography, simply like I said, jumping about rivers, is describe the thing and then literally jump in and do it and then get them to do it. Um, and that works pretty well with the on about rivers, my PhD's on rivers. The, the rivers module that we we run just in Klein Valley, the half hour discussion of what we'll do, and then the students do it. And they all do the same thing at the same time, but they each one's collecting their own data. And so in the next computer session, we can all sit there, run through their data. They should all have you know pretty similar results. And then it's quite amusing to work out where they've gone wrong. And then you're also problem solving for, for future work. Well, yeah, if you, if you stand upstream of your meter, you're going to be measuring things that your feet have kicked up. If you keep dipping the meter in out of the water, you're going to get funny readings, things like that. I, I like the, a hands-on approach and uh, do it once and then get them doing it. It sounds like it's very practical type of sessions and, and learning by doing very much as well, but also I suppose helps the students sort of not be afraid to take risks. Sounds again, as Kara said, we're in a very safe environment to allow mistakes and to, to learn from those mistakes then. In a way, it's annoying if they don't make mistakes because the whole group's perfect. I've got to say what mistakes could happen <laughs> so that they can uh, be ready for that in a future use of the same method. I was just going to say, is it more challenging having them in that environment as opposed to a conventional classroom environment, do you feel? I'm not sure that there are different challenges. You've got external things happening. So I mentioned going out for a weekend of geology. You know, one day it was lashing down a rain and quite windy. Well, I've been doing outdoorsy geography stuff for, well, at Swansea University for six years now. And so I've got a reasonably decent selection of good kit. Well, these second years have had a year and a half lockdown because of COVID. And some of them had good kit and some of them, you know, had a pair of trailers and some jeans looking quite sad in a way. <laughs> so yeah, there are, there are, I think there are different challenges rather than being more challenging. I think uh, doing geography or not in Swansea, it's always advisable to have a raincoat to hand, I think. <laughs> uh, Louis, what type of strategies, approaches do you have in terms of a go-to? Um, well, a bit of a, a, a cop-out. I, I would just kind of go to what I said last time. I like to just, um, I guess the strategy is no strategy, kind of getting into the week of, or whenever I'm planning the, the sessions and, and looking at what I've done and thinking, how can I give them something new to do? Um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a, bit of a cop-out answer, but just mixing it up each week and not being afraid to kind of push the students a little bit, a little bit more. Cause at the, at the very, in the best case scenario, it's like, wow, these seminars, all these lectures are great because they're so different. And in the worst case, it's like, God, this guy's just insane. He's coming up with these like ri ridiculous formats for our classes each week. I really admire all my boring seminars and lectures now because they're normal compared to this. So it's a win either way. Yeah, silly. And it's always good to, like I say, add variety into teaching as well. But also sounds like, how you said earlier on, about having lots of students working together and sort of 
pushing them, so getting them to work with other students. So again, it's using that sort of more knowledgeable other than really as well, isn't it? Getting the students to support each other and gradually try to push them in as well. But I suspect working that way helps to build a really good sort of collegiate feeling amongst the classes as well. Yeah, yeah. We did we did see like really solid attendance throughout the semesters and you would kind of see these early clusters form early on and then they would kind of spread a little bit more as the as the semester went on so you're slowly seeing these circles expand and yeah you have to kind of manipulate it a little bit when you're getting people to do group work and you kind of fudge the groups a little bit so that there's overlap but uh it's all very organic i find yeah so it sounds like you've done a really good job of sort of build, building the community amongst the students and the lessons sarah do you have any sort of approaches that you have as go-to i tend to take a different approach in a lecture uh, than i would in a seminar but in my lectures, I do like to use interactive apps. I was using one, but because of my cohort being so big, this particular term, I've had to change to another app. But it was Neopod, and now I use Lumio because you can get 100 participants in Lumio and you can't in Neopod. And I like to kind of do that sort of didactic sort of session for about 20 minutes and then throw them a sort of question and get them flying up their answers on the board and and we tend to have a little discussion in the lectures then and then in seminars I tend to make it far more conversational throw in the questions and, and group them together or pair them so that they can they can discuss it between two of them and then come back with sort of you know their thoughts and ideas so it tends to be a very different approach then um, I'm very sort of interested in innovative sort of teaching methods and my sort of favorite thing I've ever done is taking the students out to the sort of front in front of the the abbey it's called the abbey isn't it the in uni on the field there with a, a drone and a headset which I kind of have here actually just in case it was <laughs> the VR headset um and they got to sort of wear the headset before lockdowns, before the COVID lockdowns, and to have a sort of panoramic view of the university because we were looking at sort of Robert Barker's panorama from the sort of 18th century. So it was a demonstration of sort of immersive media. We were able to compare then the immersive media of the sort of 18th century with the sort of technical ensemble that we're using, as it were, with the drone and the headset. So, yeah, I, I try and look for sort of really innovative methods as well to engage the students. So, yeah, a few things that I've done there. <laughs> so how did that go? How was the, the student response to the use of the drone? Amazing, actually. They were so engaged. They really enjoyed it. And of course, because of, with geography, you get to do field trips with media. You don't really get to, to do that. So it was really nice to be able to sort of take them out of a, a sort of classroom environment. And in fact, one of the students from a few years ago, he's now working in the university and I bumped into him and that was the first thing he said to me. Oh, I remember going out with a drone that was great you know so it definitely stuck in his head so he's he's definitely remembered that seminar so uh, yeah it was great really really good so I'm looking for something similar on a comparable level to do again with the students so yeah so things that stick in students minds are I think you, they tend to remember the most and sometimes that's intended sometimes it's not intended but it's all all positive in terms of helping them with their learning 
Absolutely. So thanks for sharing that, that innovation, Sarah. So was there anything, Louis, that you've used in the last year or so, which you felt was a bit innovative in your teaching, something completely new and how did that go? I think, again, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. It's kind of related to my teaching, but I think the one thing that I really wanted to do that emphasized the most was kind of student autonomy and kind of giving them choice. So I would frequently give them tasks that were open-ended and give them kind of like parameters with which to work in and say, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. There was a task where we had to analyze the election campaigns in the US in 2020 between Trump and Biden. And we had two columns, one for each. And then they had like 15 different rows of these kind of different aspects of the campaign for them to look at. And it was just about that seems like quite a straightforward linear task, but it was a case of saying, you have the freedom to work with who you want. You have the freedom to present this information, however you want to present it and kind of just giving them the tools to tackle it, how they want to, or we get working through a, an academic article and, you know, students don't necessarily, first year students aren't particularly comfortable with articles because they are kind of an alien thing at the start of university. So I would extract all of the quotes, the relevant quotes for them. And then say, you know, it's your, it's up to you how you are going to build on this. You know, you can, for the most part, it was presentations, but again, giving them the freedom to work with who they wanted to and stuff like presentations, I find are really great because they, as, as maybe rudimentary as they may seem, they kind of let students tap into a part of their creative side a little bit, even if it's just putting some, some animations on there, it's just something unique and novel to a, a politics degree, which can be a bit straightforward sometimes. So yeah, I think I think the, the new thing that I really tried to focus on, at least in the last academic year, was that was student choice. And they were, I think that the risk you find is that if you give them too much choice, then they just kind of don't bother or they, they do something completely different to what you want them to do. But I didn't have any instances of that occurring to my memory. It sounds like you supported your students and scaffolded them really well in that, in terms of say, giving them choice, but also giving them the tools and the skills that they need to be able to, to make those choices. Thanks, Louis. Aaron, is there anything innovative you'd like to share that you've done in the last year? I've just opened the AFHA application to guide me along. And so one of the, the things we did enforced by COVID, but then carried on because it was, was useful post that I've been videoing stuff. And so I don't want to dwell on rivers all the time, but that is sort of my life. We filmed in, must have been April 21, I think, what would have been the normal rivers fieldwork session. And that was quite weird because the, the, the rules were quite restrictive then. So we're all separated by two and a half meters. Pointed things that normally would take people to do and, you know, putting it on the ground and stepping away and walking back again. But that was all filmed and the students watched it. And I was saying earlier about we like, oh, I like the students who have made a mistake so that you can learn off the mistake. So I was having to make mistakes and then get corrected by the other member of staff or correct myself. Because otherwise, if you just do it all straightforwardly, even you're actually a 10 minute video because, you know, I've been doing that, that, that sort of thing for four years. I'm presumably doing it nearly perfectly. Whereas the, the students need more time to work out what's happening and turn the kit on, et cetera. And so the. And making the video was quite a different way of working for me. And, and the feedback from the students was still good. It wasn't, I don't think it's the same as doing it in person, but it, it, it was better than, than just being given a set of lectures and a set of calculations to work out. 
And I think that's a, a really good point. I think in the last two or three years, we concentrate on how we have to adapt to online learning. But I think, as you said, then it's really trying to think then, well, what did we learn during those COVID years? And what can we continue to do as we return back to face-to-face -face rather than just going back to how we actually should do things? So it's a really good way of approaching things. Yeah, I think that's kind of um, a key issue that maybe I think we overlook sometimes is that, especially for early career educators, you know, a lot of your teaching was done during that COVID period. You have that very quick, if you're there at the start of the process, you have that very quick adjustment to go online. Then you have to adapt to the sort of hybrid world that we lived in. And then, of course, kind of seeing what lessons are learned and how you want to kind of progress and take that forward. So actually, I think for a lot of early career educators these days, innovating and being able to respond really quickly to different situations is probably something that you've had to do a lot. Um, I just kind of wanted to, to kind of ask really about the kind of sense of duality, really. I mean, you're PGR students, but then you're also tutors and members of staff in your own right. How do you cope with that kind of dual identity and how do you kind of switch from one role to another um and kind of do you feel like like kind of you gave or you had more to share with with students that you were teaching because you also had this other role as a PGR student yourself kind of did you feel like you had a good contribution there so what kind of um, how did you manage that kind of duality of identity and, and did you feel that was a positive thing in your teaching experience anybody would like to jump in I'll go first. Yes, I, I I think that navigating that sort of line between student and staff is one of those kind of paths that you walk, you know. I'm a mature student, so I came back to university later. But, you know, it's I did my master's in 2017, so it wasn't that long ago. So I still remember what it was like to sort of, uh, you know, to work on your assignments, to upload them, to turn it in, to have the kind of fear of pressing the button to see what your result is. And, you know, so, and I still have that as a quite a sort of, you know, it's still quite fresh in my memory. So I do feel that I'm able to um, have that sort of affinity with students and have an understanding of what they're going through, you know. So I, I think it's, it definitely definitely helped in how you are able to understand where where, where they're at yeah absolutely do have that empathy and and I you know I talk to them about that and I sort of explain yes I I do understand how you feel so I, I think it does give you a sort of a little you've got like a foot in each camp if you like you've got a sort of a one foot in the the sort of staff teaching sort of side of it but you've still got your foot in the other side as well where you're a student so it's it's quite a nice position to be in and I think it does help and sometimes with sort of terminology as well um, I will explain to them you know basic sort of academic terminology but you can see that they are not quite sure what it is so I'll always explain things like that as well where not everyone may do that but I think being in the position you're in as having that experience as a student sort of quite recently that's um yeah that definitely helps to you develop to see it from both sides basically on the table yes yeah I think you can see both sides of the coin is that yeah. what you both found as Valerie and Aaron was it something was it a positive to have that dual role or do you find any challenges with it it can be not quite difficult, but but interesting slash occasionally odd if you're you know you're on a a, a pub or a situation, 
as a student having a drink and then students who you've been teaching two hours previously turn up in the pub as students having a drink. You know, I, I've certainly had some awkward first years wondering if they should leave the pub because I'm there. You know, well, we're, we're both students of the same department, so no. And I won't mark you down because it's a Monday and you should be in a 9 a.m. lecture tomorrow morning or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, so it is, it is a strange duality and, and you're on both systems and you're getting emails saying, dear all students, don't forget this. And then also, dear all staff, don't forget this. It's the same reminder, but written slightly differently. Um, it, is, it is a bit strange, but I guess it, you know, these aren't new roles. And it's probably been strange for people in our position for 60 odd years, although without the emails, I suppose. Very true, I think. How about you, Lee? I think it's, uh, it, it feels less like switching between two. I, 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 when I'm in an environment, when I'm with students, I like to emphasize that I am also a student and that I'm going to get things wrong. Um, and, and, you know, feel free to correct me if you think I'm wrong. I've had students say things in classes, but I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So sometimes it's about kind of cleverly passing it off. Like what, why don't you elaborate a little bit more so that everyone else knows what you're talking about, but. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like trying to be relatable or if I'm kind of desperately clinging on to my youth. I don't want to walk into these, I don't want these students to see me as some kind of like aged sewer slime man who's just, you know, been here for decades or whatever. But I think, I think the students benefit from that relatability from, even if you're rocking up to a class looking tired and, and a bit stressed, you're just like that, that's what they're probably experiencing at the same time. You know, they have the interactions with the, the lecturers who are professionals and know everything. So kind of getting a bit of a contrast with some postgrad students who are kind of like still in the, in the thick of it with them as well, I think can help. But I think the main thing is that I've used kind of my undergraduate experience to kind of help inform what I do in the sense of I, I like to act with the students, how I wish staff interacted with me during my undergraduate degree. So I try to be extremely prompt with replying to emails. I try to be really thorough in my responses rather than just like two sentences and like, you know, look at the module guide, the diversity in the classes. I, I like that because a lot of my seminars and lectures were very samey and very repetitive and just always emphasizing that like I'm available and I'm open to, you know, help or to communicate with anything about the module. It's just something that would have made the undergraduate degree a little less scary for me at the time. So I'm just trying to kind of like, yeah, shape the way that they interact with their faculty and hopefully if they get into a similar position, they'll do the same. Sounds like, you know, you're, you're making yourself very approachable. And I think that's really key, isn't it, for staff to kind of be someone that the students can go to if they're in, they you know, don't understand something or they need assistance with something. And, and it sounds like, you know, if you're in that dual role, you're somebody who is seen as, like you said, relatable and somebody that they can go to and hear those issues where they encounter any. So... Does it work the other way around though? Do you get find that you've got something out of teaching? Has that kind of impacted on your experience as a PGR student? Did teaching kind of enrich your experience really as a PGR student? Or was it something that was kind of, um, you know, absorbing your time and, and a lot of your effort? Was it difficult to juggle those two roles? I mean, how did, how did that teaching experience really influence your time when you look back and reflect over the entirety of your time as a postdoctoral student? Well, I would say that it's it's been very beneficial because I think the the one thing that probably unites a lot of doctoral students is like the slog of 
of working through a beast of a thesis. It's this like monolithic thing, whereas teaching is so different kind of week in week. It's very different. The stuff that you're teaching, the students that you deal with, you get even just as we're talking about coming out of COVID, getting that regular face-to-face -face contact with a huge class is just so different to the other stuff that you do during your degree. And I think the, probably the biggest aspect is that it kind of benefits you no matter what you do after a degree, like any job prospect I think of, when I think about the teaching, I'm like, this is always going to look good. It shows that I can plan. It shows I can create lessons. It shows that I can do public speaking. It shows that I can assess work reliably. Like there's, there's, there's no harm that comes from it. And I think for the most part, obviously there are some people who are kind of maybe not in a financially fortunate position to turn down teaching, but a lot of faculty that I've talked to have been very open to just you saying, no, I can't, I can't take on this work. And that helps a lot to have a network that's, that's like, yeah, we'd love to have you on, but if you can't do it, then it's okay. So having that kind of network to support you, but also knowing that no matter what teaching you do, it's going to look good. It's going to help you become more rounded as an individual. Yeah, I think those teaching skills are really desired in quite a number of different industries, isn't it? And something that you can take with you. So mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. But Sarah Niran, did you agree with that? Or did you find that there was a more of a challenge in, in juggling the research and the teaching during your studies? I mean, no, no I, I agree. I, I think it was great to do the teaching alongside. And of course, when you're doing a full-time PhD, you're only allowed to do so many hours teaching anyway. So it was never sort of too much to take on. And I really enjoy, especially in a seminar situation, having those sort of conversations with students and hearing what their opinions are as well and what their ideas are. I've had some great times. I've really, really enjoyed it. So it's it's been invaluable and it definitely helped me to get the full-time tutor role that I've been doing for the last few months as well, you know. So without it, I would certainly not have got, got that role. So yeah, I've I really enjoyed it and still do. Yeah, I still really enjoy the the whole thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with the, the other two. So I've, before starting as a TA, I, well, I still am a outdoors activities instructor at the Gazette Force. So I've been teaching 13 to 18 year olds since 2012. And I've always found that re rewarding and interesting. It's also always amusing to discover what sort of things uh, are maybe the same about feeling old when they're telling you about TikTok. Well, now I know I take this, I'm honest. But when I was first being told about TikTok, I was like, oh God, I feel ancient. Thanks for this. And so part of that is the same with, with teaching undergrads, you know, so that the first years, some of, some of them are still essentially 18 year old school kids. And you say open Excel and they look at you blankly and say, what's that? Have you turned the computer on? Oh, okay. Take it more slowly. Sorry. Um, and then equally with like the third years, I've had students who have come out and done field work with me up at the, the lead mine and they've got a, an interesting dissertation out of it. And I've discovered things at the mine that I wouldn't have had time to nick into on my own. I think being a PGR student can be quite a lonely existence. I've got quite a big office and there's no one here. I don't know how big your departments are, but I don't think many departments have got big PGR groups. And so it's, it's nice in itself just to see people coming up through in your field and carry on the, the what's the word I want, the thing. 
carrying the torch. Praise. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to hear that you've got that reciprocal kind of uh, relationship with them where they're kind of teaching you and, and you're kind of teaching them at the same time. So that sounds brilliant. You mentioned that you did, you'd have experience of teaching beforehand. And I guess my next question is just going to be, you know, how difficult was it to kind of start teaching when you were first kind of confronted with that situation of, you know, going into a room or doing a field trip, et cetera, and just straight into that role. Is that a really challenging experience? And did you have to draw on lots of different experiences of teaching beforehand? Or was it something that was completely new to you? And how do you navigate those first couple of weeks when you were just kind of straight into into your teaching term for the very first time? For me, field work and field trips were almost second nature. And, you know, bossing around a group of 15-year-olds is, is much more difficult than bossing around a group of presumably interested and excited uh, you know, adults, 20-year-olds, who want to be there and are interested in doing it. And go look at that interesting rock. Well, half of them already found the interesting rock before you pointed it out. Working, teaching in a, in a lecture theatre, I initially found that really quite daunting. We're sort of flying by the door. I'm quite lucky that all the staff I've talked with have been firstly very engaging and helpful with me and encouraging and, and also allowing, you know, if I don't want to be loud and introduce myself, then there'll there'll be a task certainly early on that where I could be quietly going between students and help them individually. And then who also explain, you know, and the email before the session say, are you confident? If not, come along half an hour before to my, to my office and we'll go through it. I'll show you the, the plan. And some things are way more structured as well, of course. In the stats section I mentioned, there's a data set, a way of doing it. And if you don't do it that way, it won't work. Whereas lectures on, say, climate change, there's a lot more information and there's no end result. The students are learning and they'll have questions which I can't answer. And sometimes you Father onto a, a professor and they can't answer it. Um, yeah, so it's a, an interesting and different. Different challenge then, even if you've got some previous experience. Yeah, definitely. Is that your experience as well, Louis and Sarah? Yeah, well, I, mine was a bit strange, as you said. It, it, I began my degree in the autumn of 2020, so we're still kind of mid kind of lockdown and so my first kind of experience with teaching was in the second semester and I was just at first I was just making like weekly quizzes for the students but then I was asked to do a recorded and a couple of live lectures that week and it was just I think definitely it was a case of very stressful I'm just going to smash through the content I've kind of overloaded the slides a little bit so that I've got so much to talk about. I know I'm not going to run out of time, but it did mean it was a very kind of like fast paced lecture. And at the end, it was, you know, as soon as you get a few minutes into it, you're like, oh, that's actually a lot easier, you know. But with a Zoom class, it's, you know, you, you start screen sharing and I guess it depends on what settings you have, but all of the participant windows just disappear. So it's just your screen and the little Zoom menu. So you just kind of forget everyone's there and you're just talking to yourself for an hour. Um, but then in the second year, when we started getting back into on-campus stuff, I was doing undergraduate seminars and you know, you've got 50 at a time and it's a very different atmosphere. Um, the, the joy of a seminar is that you, you know, the whole thing's meant to be student led and it's student oriented. So you can kind of load the work onto them and be like, as Aaron was saying, you're kind of the facilitator rather than the leader of what's going on. But 
I don't know. I, I think for me personally, I, I think it's like a, it's a it's a nice form of stress. It's you do get very anxious going into classes, but when you're in there, as soon as you start, two minutes in, it just kind of all subsides, and you're like, I've got to you know push through this for an hour, and you end up just having a lot of fun. You know, it's it's at the end of the day, if you if you mess it up madly, no one's gonna remember. It's a it's a one hour class. You know, this is not gonna hang over your head forever. Just have fun with it, and chances other students will pick up on that and kind of try and match your intensity. Unless, of course, it's like 9am on a Thursday when everyone's slightly hungover and, and not really wanting to be there. I love that description. They're a nice form of stress. I thought it was great. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? I first started, I mean, I, I've got a background in the performing. I was a professional <laughs> entertainer for many years. So going on stage and being, sort of being in front of lots of people and speaking wasn't an issue. I think it was the idea that I needed to know absolutely everything and have an answer for absolutely any question that they may pose. And that was the sort of, that was where the anxiety was going into the seminars when I first started teaching. So it wasn't so much being in front of them. It was a sort of, oh, well, they asked me a question that I, I don't have an answer to, you know. And But I think doing the sort of two-hour lectures now as well, like I said, that's a slightly different thing to going in for the one-hour seminar. And the first couple of those that, I've, that I did this teaching block, teaching block one this year, it was sort of, oh, wow, this... 90 of you in front of me and so I had that little bit of anxiety again before I started but I agree once you start and you get into the swing of it it's great so um yeah it's it is a nice kind of stress but I think there is an element of performance with it as well and I don't know about you but there's a sort of a especially after a sort of two-hour lecture you kind of that adrenaline has been sort of running and you're quite exhausted after it. you kind of go poof you know, because you're keeping your energy levels up for that period of time. Yes, much better. Obviously, seminars then are a much more sort of relaxed atmosphere than the lecture, but far more comfortable with it all now than when I first began teaching. Sounds like it's a taste of kind of conquering some of those preconceptions about teaching, whether it's the idea that you have to be at the front all the time, but like as we were saying, you can actually kind of move the focus and keep the focus on the students, I guess, for something like a seminar particularly, um, and, and also not feeling like you have to know, I think, everything. And that's something you've kind of all pitched on as we've been talking. This idea that students have a lot to share with with tutors, with their peers, that it's very much something that the, the students are kind of participating in as well. They're helping to construct that lesson. And you don't have to kind of feel like, oh, I have to be the complete expert and know everything all the time. Um, in order for that session to be successful. And I think it sounds like once you get over that, actually, you have a much more enjoyable experience in teaching. So that sounds really positive. Okay. It's, you stated a lot of experience in HE and outside of HE as well, in terms of teaching experience and teaching practice. So what one top tip would you give to either a PGR who's going into teaching as a teaching assistant or senior teaching assistant or anybody new to teaching? What sort of top tip would you give them so Sarah to like just start wash um you don't need to over prepare <laughs> which I've done I still do <laughs> I'm still over preparing and I just can't help myself but oh gosh I mean enjoy it definitely is the you know enjoy that that experience 
sorry, I'm just trying to think what the, to, to give one sort of absolutely, you know, top, top tip. It's it's quite difficult really to think about that at the moment. I don't know if anyone else wants to go and I'll have a, <laughs> does anyone else have a top tip that they? Yeah, I'd say it's like uh, the, the simplest bit of advice that I think worked, the simplest thing that I found that worked for me was that almost a bit of classical conditioning. I would, I would, uh, on the cost cutter on Singleton campus, they sell these like ice cream sodas and I just really, really enjoy them, but really not good for you, really sugary and whatnot. But I would have, um, in the first semester, I'd have two back-to-back -back classes with 50 students in each of them. And then in the second semester on a Friday, I had three back-to-back -back seminars from one till four. So I'd be like, I'm going to get myself one of these drinks. And then like after each class, I, you know, it's like a reward and it's just like a nice kind of way of bringing some kind of positivity to to help get you through the stress but i would echo what you said just just having fun with it like it, it's like a very bizarre level of control that you're not really kind of used to if you've gone from like a straight from a master's to a doctorate or or just being a student to being a teacher now all of a sudden you have the control over everything and it's quite it can be quite scary but at the same time it's like a very liberating experience because you know, this is, you're now on the other side of the looking glass and you get to, and you get to control everything. But like, yeah, talk to other members of staff. Like I've had many conversations with people in my department and, you know, other postgrad students who, and they all think the exact same way that you do in terms of stressed as hell about it. It's terrifying. What if I don't know the answer? Everybody is in this exact same position and everyone's got different ways of coping with it. But like, um, yeah, you're, you're not the only person who's, who's freaking out about it if you are freaking out yeah i think the, the difficult bit is the the first bit uh and like louis said actually everybody is is the same level worried whether they're it's your first ever teaching as a, a pgr or your a year of retirement and you've been doing it for 40 years um that first bit and sarah saying about like the rush before and after like some of the lecture videos are big even some of the computer rooms are big. Like there's, a, there's one in Talbot that's got like 130 computers in. And you've got to be loud. There's a little microphone, but you have to be loud anyway. So if you're not a naturally loud person, when you say, you know, go on to slide three, you've really got to say, we're going on to slide three now. And you can't quickly say, I'm quite a fast talker because people at the back won't hear you. And then you'll spend the next half hour going around saying it. So um, yeah, that, that first five minutes is quite daunting. I'd also try, try not to, this is probably unhelpful advice, but try not to overthink what it is you're going to do. Because if you start overthinking, you'll start worrying. I want to, if you start worrying, you'll end up doing all the things you didn't want to do whilst being angry at yourself for doing them. And as Louis said, no one's going to remember that you did it wrong, but it's nice for yourself not to. I was going to say as well, I, I agree as well with definitely sort of moulded my teaching practice on lecturers that I really enjoyed the, their lectures then when I was doing my master's and I used to sit in on all the lectures as well when I was doing seminars and I definitely would take lots and lots of pointers from what they were doing to try and sort of put that into my sort of teaching as well so that I, I was taking the sort of cherry picking <laughs> if you like all the best bits from the different lecturers that I thought would suit me and that I would be able to achieve and deliver within a a lecture situation or a seminar situation uh, so that's something that I think was very very useful sort of emulating sort of other 
educators then that you admire on their style? Yeah, I think, I think teaching good teachers are often magpies, aren't we? We sort of pick from other colleagues and peers or things we've seen and adapted in our own way as well. And come to Aaron's point around when I first started teaching, I trained in 11 to 18 in secondary school, I was told always to talk to the back of the class, so trying to project your voice. So yeah, that, that's just um, reminded me of that first sort of tip I had then as well, Aaron. So thank you. Thanks for listening to A Pinch of Salt. This has been part one of a two-part episode. Make sure that you're subscribed on your favourite podcast platform to be notified when part two is available. You can find new episodes of this podcast on the last Tuesday of every month with bonus episodes scattered in between. You can also find us on Twitter at SUPinchOfSalt to join in the conversation. If it's got anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everybody knows about it.